And we are live from the Empire of Lies and just outside the Matrix. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan. This is the backstory. We have a great show today. In the first hour, our friend Jim Hoff from Gateway Pundit will be talking to him about, among other things, what's happening with Twitter. There was some hope. We talked about it yesterday. Elon Musk coming on board the board over at Twitter may have led to some, but those hopes seem to be dashed. And one of the people who was banned by Twitter, aside from people, you know, lots of people you know, obviously Donald Trump banned from Twitter, but so many others, and including Jim Hoff. And so we'll talk to him about whether his hopes have been dashed. In the second hour, we'll be joined by Lucy Commissar, the great investigative reporter and expert on money laundering, bank scams, scammery, and Bill Browder, of course. We'll be talking to her in the second hour and let me ask Rod. Rod, are you there? Aren't you producer Rod? Yeah, I'm here, Lee. So, now, do we have Farron? Oh, should be the second hour. Right. But that, that's, in the set, that's what I meant, the second hour. So, in the second hour, Farron Franzak, co-host of Fall Lines, with Franzak and Thomas, will be joining us as the guest host. She ably filled in also a couple of days. I was in the hospital, or probably when I was in rehab. It was technically, I'll put it like this, it's a distinction without a difference, because the rehab I was at was at the hospital. And that is Farron Franzak in the second hour. And great show today and lots of timely stuff going on. Jim Jim Hoff is a perfect guest. So once again, a, a trip producer, Rod coming through on Backstory. Now, Rod, let me ask you a question. How first, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Lee. I can't complain. Still alive, so uh, that's a blessing. Uh, how about yourself? How are you feeling? I'm okay. You know, I would say, okay, I would say not perfect, but getting better and uh, feel like I'm getting better. And the weather's warming up in South Dakota. We had some weather in the 50s, almost 60. So we like that because it's not zero. Now, this is, did you see the footage yesterday from the White House, Rod? Yeah, that was... Where Joe Biden is lying in state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. And that was, it was just, I mean, it's not, I'm not surprised, but it's just, it's just more embarrassing for us as Americans that this is who represents our country. Well, it's apparently embarrassing for everybody at the White House, too, because the reason I say he was lying in state is he's not gone, but he might as well be. I, he was ghosted. 
to use the term the kids use. But is that ghosted? Is that what it is? They play the footage last uh, time. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you could say that in a in a, in a way because uh, if you if you look at when um, I know the the part you're talking about when everyone's greeting Obama and Biden's trying to get his attention and he's just uh, he's just avoiding him. So in in a way, I guess you could say he's ghosting him because he's right there and he's trying to you know he has to even grab his shoulder to grab his attention and he still doesn't he still doesn't grab his attention. So yeah, in a way, it is. Right, he feebly our president feebly grabbed the shoulder of our ex-president Barack Obama, who's visiting the White House. And he, if you haven't seen the footage, there's no way description can substitute for seeing it. So look it up; it's all over the place. Twitter did something. I mean, Tucker did something last night. He showed the footage. And then George Galloway retweeted it. There's a lot of places to find this. This was absolutely sad. And Tucker started genuinely in pain. It may have been a little acting, but not much because it was really painful. When Obama was at the White House, everyone, including Kamala Harris, is standing around, thrilled to see Obama, engaging in conversation. And Joe Biden, literally, he might as well have been painting on the wall. He was completely ignored. And what Rod's talking about is Joe Biden is, at one point goes up and grabs Obama's shoulder and says, Barack, as though a man dying of thirst might call out water while in the desert. And Obama literally doesn't flinch. Right, Rod? Am I making that up? Did Obama flinch? Did he, get, did he acknowledge that Biden was alive? Did I miss that? <laughs> No, not at all. It, I mean, the clip's like, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 seconds worth. It probably went on longer. Who knows how long until Obama actually acknowledged him. And uh, Obama threw a little shot at him, called him his vice president. I think the whole thing was just embarrassing from beginning to end. And, you know, it's just it just it just shows where we are in America that we have this this old man as our president who doesn't even get attention from his last predecessor. Well, second to last predecessor and you know his vice president his staffers nobody gives him any attention when you know when when Barry's around no and and I'll tell you I don't think Trump would have ignored him as much as Obama did do you get that sense that that Trump would have and if he had that would have been the focus is that Trump, here's Trump. He's awful. He's ignoring the president. And no, no I, I agree with you on that. I think Trump, he plays the tough guy a lot. He plays the uh, the bully a lot. But when the camera's on and, you know, the person's in his presence, he'll he'll act like their friend. He'll at least he'll at least act like their friend. So I, I, I'll, I'll give you that, that, uh, yeah, Trump wouldn't have he would at least acknowledge Biden. He would have brought him in for a handshake and, you know, that picture would have became a meme. But what's even worse is Obama just totally ignoring him knowing that he's trying to get his attention. 
that that was I'll tell you what else. Given what we've been talking about all week, which is is the New York Times, Washington Post, and CNN covering the Biden laptop story, is that indicative that they're urging him out? And I've said that I think the fact that those major media outlets have given light to that story and acknowledged the fact we knew it, that the Biden laptop was real, and the fact that the Times and the Post and CNN are now admitting it openly, it's a bad sign for Obama, for, forgive me, for, for Biden. It's a very bad sign for Joe Biden. Now, one could argue that's a worse sign for Hunter Biden, but I don't think so. I don't think his story was ever about Hunter Biden. This is a Joe Biden story. And the stuff they're bringing up, again, it's perfectly about Hunter Biden. It's obvious stuff, but Joe Biden is the big issue there. And I think that they're giving him a, a message. And I think that what we saw at the White House last night was the continuation of the message. It's another message. Do you think I'm overreading that, Rod? No, actually, after the during the show when you said that uh, to, uh, I'm sorry, who, who you was, I forget who you were speaking to uh, about that yesterday. But then I thought about it, and then when I saw that clip come up, it just started kind of like all clicked, and I was like, oh yeah, this is kind of like the sign of uh, <laughs> this is the sign that we're taking the trash out um, slowly but surely. And as you saw, Obama's uh, he greeted Kamala Harris very well. And uh, he gave her a lot of attention, but not to the guy who's the uh, the current president. So, I mean, I I, I, I kind of see what you're saying, and I, I see that it's kind of lining up slowly but surely. And the, most people might not might not see it, but I see that they're, that they're lining they're lining Joe Biden up for a uh, a political shot. And the by the way, lines are open. If you want to call in, it's a good time to call in. Two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. The other sign that I took of that happened a while ago, weeks ago, when Saudi Arabia refused to take his call. And that was unprecedented. You've never seen anything like that, a foreign country refusing to take the president's call. That was a a warning sign that something was shifting. And when Obama refused to take Biden's call last night, live and in person. I think it's another sign. And watch where this is going. This is not about exposing Hunter Biden. They don't care about Hunter Biden. They know that this story does not end at Hunter Biden. They know the story eventually, see, they're easing into it. When I think it was the Times. They ran a fairly big story. Maybe it was the Post. I don't remember. But on Hunter Biden, 
admitting the financial problems. So that was a way of easing into it. Oh, oh, we're only talking about Hunter Biden. But they know for a fact, and we mentioned yesterday, Tony Bobolinsky is still out there. And the reason Tony Bobolinsky is significant is because number one, it confirmed it was a person who was on the email chain saying, yes, I was on this email chain. That was significant to verify the veracity of the story months ago. But when he came out and did it, yeah, right, right. Time flies when you're having fun. So, uh, no, it's, it's, it's stunning to think how long this goes to, uh, what I say sometimes you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And the truth will out. Now, sometimes it takes a while for the truth will out. But the truth will out. And the truth is, this is a valid story. And the people who've been defending the story and the people who've been justifying it and saying, oh, this is about Hunter Biden. This has nothing to do with Joe Biden. Are deluding themselves. And I don't know if they're deluding themselves or they're trying to delude you. But this is going straight to Hunter Biden. Now, are we Farron? I'm here. Hey, Farron. How you doing? How are you, Lee? How are you, Lee? Well, I've been better. But, you know. Yeah, but you're making progress. I'm so proud of you. How are you, Farron? Thanks for coming on today as the guest host. And we appreciate it. Yeah, well, I would be better if I felt like my president was a little bit more with it. Uh, But I I actually had a little bit of a different take on the whole Obama ignoring Joe Biden. Part of me, and if you see what was happening, you had all of these Democrats in the room. You know, you had Kamala Harris there with Obama. And you, as you had already detailed out how he even put his hand on his shoulder and he still ignored him. I do agree. Trump would have acknowledged him. But I think a lot of it. You have to ask yourself, A, like, why are they ignoring him? And I think a lot of it is they want to steer clear of anything Joe Biden does, especially on Ukraine, because I feel like even though they're in in in, in, in so deep with Ukraine themselves, they're going to push it on Joe Biden so that if all hell breaks loose, it'll be Joe Biden's problem. And that wasn't the Democratic Party. That was Joe Biden. The other thing that's very scary is if he is allowing the former president to do this to him, what do you think he's letting NATO leaders do when cameras aren't in the room? And that's, I think, the scarier part of all of this. Yes, and I think it's a bad sign that Biden's next, his re-election campaign commercial is going to be directed by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> I think yeah. it's because he is a ghost. It'll call, be called We See Dead People or We See One Dead Person. <laughs> I, I think dead man walking, he, he is, yeah. I, I think you're right. They know, and we can get into this later, I want to get to calls, Brave is on the line. But uh, I think they know, we can talk about this later, but the economic disaster that the U.S. is in 
with J.P. Morgan. They're not allowing Russia to pay back the debt on the bonds. They're literally not allowing it. Right. And 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 even Russia has said, we'll pay them back, but you got to let it, you got to stop sanctioning us. They even sanction another bank, the bank coming out today, the Russian bank saying it's not going to affect us. It's only affecting the American people. No, right. And, and I think that they, it, Biden was warned against doing that by many people, no, none of whom were pro-Russian. They were saying this is a bad move. And it goes along with Germany's bad move. Very similar. Uh, where they nationalized a number of Gazprom corporate assets. They are, this is going to be economic disaster for Germany and economic disaster for the U.S. And a lot of these shareholders are eventually going to come after the U.S. and say, we want to get paid. Russia said they pay us and you stop them. And there's a concept called force majeure in law. And force majeure, Russia is is essentially shrugging their shoulders. They're saying, we want to pay, I guess. Okay, but if you if you're gonna stop us, you're gonna stop us. And I think people realize how many of these moves were really bad and and are going to come back to haunt the country down the road. But want to get to calls, 202-521-1320. Brave, what is on your mind? How's it going, guys? How's it going? Liam Blady, you sound like you're doing a lot better. How you doing, Farron? I, um, I wanted to bring up two quick points, if I could. Um, first point, uh, last last on the last show, uh, By Enemies Necessary, uh, Ingrid called in, and she brought up a summit uh, featuring... Um, uh, uh, I can't remember. She, she, brought, she brought up a, a summit, and that is the point. I was hoping that if she's listening now, she could call in and maybe, and maybe touch on that again or tweet it out to the show. Because I really wanted, to, uh, based on what she was saying concerning the summit, um, I wanted to, um, to to check it out. I couldn't catch the name. I think she said that Scott um, that Scott was actually uh, a part of it. Um, that's the first point. Uh, second point, uh, Farron. The other day on Fault Lines, you were talking about. The, uh, the PR war, the propaganda war, and how the U.S. and uh, Ukraine are clearly winning it and that um, Russia should step its game up, um, or you would hope that Russia would step its game up. But I think we all feel that way. But I honestly don't think that they care about that because they're, they're moving and they're on the ground and they're collecting documents, they're collecting facts, documents, issues that they, that they can later show. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is they're collecting hard facts, things that actually matter. I think the PR war and the propaganda only really matters to, to, the, to, the, to the West and to basically Americans, because we live through Instagram and, and TikTok, and so we, we expect to see everything like a movie, whereas they're fighting a very real war, and they're, I think they're collecting a lot of documents and assets and a, and a lot of information on the corruption that the U.S. has been involved in in Russia. And I think as time pans out, they're going to have a much stronger footing to show that information. And while we may no longer care, because we typically move on uh, once the propaganda is set in, um, I think that's going to have a heavy effect 
on how the world that's not uh, controlled by the West sees the West and obviously how it, um, the implications to, to the West standing as far as power over the world. And if I can say one more thing, I firmly believe um, against maybe what everybody else is saying, maybe I'm the lone man in the room. I firmly believe that um, that Kamala will be ran as the, uh, for, for, for uh, presidency. I don't think that Joe Biden will run again. And I don't think they care whether or not she's popular or not. If you look at how they're doing this, how they're, how they're uh, prepping us, how they're training us, as far as the propaganda goes, as far as how the last election went, as far as how the media went with Russiagate, they're training us to accept what they do. Um, and I think they're going to, in, in the same way they put Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who should definitely not be in the vice presidency, the same way they put them in office, I think we'll see Kamala get that push again, despite her, um, despite her popularity or lack of. I, I'll leave it there. Well, Brent, great call. Great call. And I, I agree with you. I think people who think that some people say, you know, Kamala Harris, she's not popular. That doesn't matter. They're not going. They didn't pick her because they thought she was popular. They picked her because they thought she was compliant. But want to get to the next call and uh, command central. I'm going to go to Ingrid next because it piggybacks off a of Braves call. But Farron, do you have anything? Right, and 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 you actually, um, he mentioned Scott Ritter. I don't know if you saw this. Scott Ritter was actually suspended on Twitter today. Um, so when we were talking, because the other day I was talking about, yeah, the Russian propaganda, you know, I'm sorry, the, the Ukrainian propaganda and how Russia needs to step their game up. However, at the same time, as we're seeing now, even people in the West who are agreeing with Russia, they're getting, uh, you know, shunned, shadow banned, suspended, their voices silenced. So, you know, it's one of those, I, could I walk back what I said? Yeah, <laughs> because now, you know, they could try all they want. They're still going to get shut down. You know, no matter how hard they try, which is very sad. And then the land of free speech, this is what's going on. Yes. It's just, it's, uh, Scott is one of the most important voices out there to listen to. Do you agree, Farron, that Scott Ritter is one of the key voices because he has so much experience in so many areas? And as a Marine, for one, he understands warfare. And he understands fighting, and he understands the propaganda war, and it's horrible that Scott was suspended. But let's go to Ingrid in D.C., who was mentioned by Brave. I'm glad she called in. Ingrid, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Brave. I want to answer what I think was his question first. What I was referring to was a webinar, and you can find it by looking up Covert Action Magazine. And they have a link now to a recording. But interestingly, the recording covers the part where the panelists, and there were nine, it was Scott Ritter, Andre Martyanov, uh, Ray McGovern, Dr. Gerald Horn, five others, covers, covers the part where they give the, gave their introductory 10 uh, minutes. But it does not cover the whole second half of this webinar where there was a Q&A, which I have a feeling might have been too heated for them to want to share because th there was, you know, people had different views and a lot of them was, uh, we understand why Russia did this. It wasn't unprovoked, but, but it was totally illegal and we condemn it as, as opposed to Scott, 
who was very straightforward, saying he supports this invasion and uh, Russia needs to win this decisively. And this, I want to get to to the point which, if Brave was listening in the last segment of of uh, Sean's show, um, Ted Rawl didn't really, you know, he waffled a lot. And I guess Ted Rawl doesn't like anybody, and he's just waiting for a communist revolution. Well, so much for him. But um, as as someone who's supposedly that's me, a, a peace activist, it's it's hard to realize that I am on the side of uh, military force in this case. And I really agree with Scott that they have to win this decisively. And I'm very angry. And, and I disagree with Sean, who tried to stick up for Code Pink and saying, well, to be fair to them, uh, they also pointed out that NATO was his fault, blah, blah, blah. No, I think Code Pink is very insidious because they have so much influence over people and they are such gatekeepers. Um, and I, I don't think they've always been good about things. I will never forgive them uh, for going into the Libyan uh, consulate here and dragging out Gaddafi's picture in the street and stomping on it. I will never forgive them for supporting the first demonstration in front of the White House of the Syrian diaspora who wanted to overthrow Assad. Uh, and I'm really disgusted by the fact that they're holding rallies all over the place this weekend saying Russia should cease fire now and immediately take all their troops out of Ukraine. Hell no. At this point, more than ever, they have to get control of the whole country. And I certainly hope they do. No, no I agree with you, Ingrid. Uh, that, and I agree with you completely. And I agree with the point Scott was making. I think Russia... And it's it's not a contradiction in principle. I'm sure, do you feel like it's a contradiction for you, a peace activist, to be in favor of Russia's Ingrid? Well, I don't know if it's a contradiction or not. It's it's just it's just the way it is, you know. And I'm I'm becoming a big fan of. Uh, Andre Martiana, who is okay. If you you want peace, this is some kind of an idealist, idealistic utopian vision. Yeah, you know, we want a Garden of Eden where the lion lays down with the lamb. But it's not like that. That's that's not reality. And he makes the point: what counts in this world is if you have resources and if you're able to defend them. And that's where Russia is sitting, sitting right now. And part of I've been through this before having covered the Syrian war from the beginning and having traveled to Lebanon in 2013, I, I've seen this. I've seen a lot of this playbook. I've seen Gouda and Duma play out. U.S. accuses the country and everybody in the world goes along with saying, like, oh, Assad, chemical weapons, he used them. There was never any proof. Oh, Oh, no. Yeah, not a problem. I, uh, he might have just dropped out. But Ingrid, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And and I also understand as well, you know, Code Pink, where they're going to be very anti-war. I completely understand that. But at the same time, it is that question of what else was there left to do? You know, what else was there? What else could Russia have done? You have NATO. You have you have the other day. You have the German chancellor and President Macron. Months before this invasion happened, telling Zelensky, you need 
to say that you're not going to be part of NATO. And what does Zelensky do? He doesn't do that. He he stokes the fire even more. And then you have it where, you know, you see this troop build up. There's there's word about Ukrainians going into Donbass. What else was Russia left to do? While it's great to say, oh, you know, you can't have a war and all this. If this was the United States, you damn well know if Mexico was building a troop board or troops on their border uh, near, you know, El Paso, Texas and Tucson, Arizona and near, you know, the, the southern border of California, we would be carpet bombing the hell out of it, making sure that not our security was never, ever in jeopardy. Ingrid, thank you so much for the call. Lee, you're back. We thought we lost you, but you're back. Yes. And <laughs> it was, yes. So let's take, we're coming up, we got Jim Hoff from Gary Pundit. We'll be talking about the Swedish situation with Elon Musk. Let's take a short break, then we'll come back. Baron Franzak is with us as guest co-host. We're pleased and honored to have her on as guest host on the backstory. It's a backstory. 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Joining us now, Baron, have you met Jim before? I have not. I'm excited to meet him. Okay. Here we go. Our next guest, Jim Hoff, the Gateway Pundit. I can call him the Gateway Pundit or from the Gateway Pundit because he's both. He's both the publication and the pundit Jim Hoff, one of the one of the most read conservative websites out there. Hey Jim, how you doing? Hey Lee, it's good to be with you. I am um, so glad you're back on the backstory. Um, I had heard about your uh, latest incident, and uh, it's just great to hear your voice. So, and one other thing, Lee, I was thinking of you this past month uh, in March at the 10-year anniversary of Andrew Breitbart's death, because I know that he was close to you. So um, I was thinking yeah. of you then. So it's it's great that you're back on the air. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. And and you know, you understand how frustrating the health problems are when you're in this business, because the news doesn't stop when you go in the hospital. And, you know, and so it's frustrating to lie there and watch the news go by, and you can't talk about it. And and I'm sure you understand the frustration of having to deal with that. But thanks very much, Jim. Appreciate it. Love you, brother. Uh, Jim, we have Farron Franzak on. I want to introduce you, Farron, Jim, Jim Farron. Great to meet Farron. you uh, via phone. <laughs> All right. I've, I've, I've always been a big fan. I was a big fan, especially back in 2016 when I was a news anchor in El Paso um, on the border, right when Donald Trump came into office. And let me tell you, the press was saying how, oh, my gosh, we're so scared. The people on the border are so scared. I never saw so many people in El Paso so happy that Donald Trump won. One of the big things that you never heard in the news, people on the border, especially in El Paso, were so thankful. Back to our work country. Yeah. They couldn't be happier. 
Wow, I bet uh, they wish he was back too. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so many lies, and I think we're we're finding that out, Farron um, and and Lee, just more and more and more and more every day. Um, just how much they're hiding from the American public, and of course, you guys have been on it. Gateway Pundit has been on it, and once again, in the past week and a half, we've been proven right. Uh, you know, a year and a half late uh, with this. Uh, this uh, laptop from hell, Hunter Biden's laptop that they hid from the American public during the election. But of course, everything we reported on it, and we were breaking some scandalous stories at the time, um, was uh, absolutely correct. And so the media just becomes less and less dependable. And I think it it helps sites like ours, and uh, which which uh, uh, you know we're seeing ourselves because our numbers continue to grow year over year. And um, the media is having a very difficult time. You know, you just can't lie to the people all the time and expect to be respected. Well, here's the thing, though, Jim, is that Hunter Biden wasn't in the White House, unlike Trump's kids, especially Ivanka, who was in the White House. It actually just went before the January 6th committee yesterday, along with her husband, virtually because they were in the White House. But Hunter wasn't in the White House. Did I get that right? At least that's what the media is telling me why I shouldn't care about Hunter Biden. <laughs> right. Except that he was making uh, as we, we really have no idea how much money he was making millions and millions of, of, of dollars uh, running off his father's name and a lot of pay for play scandals that, you know, and, and Lee has been reporting on this extensively um, with the Ukraine connection for uh, several years. And, um, uh, so that was just one of the countries. And then, of course, China, when you get into that, I mean, we were reporting back in 2020 before the election. We had uh, actual uh, photos of this huge diamond that was given to Hunter Biden by this uh, rich. Uh, yes. Chinese yes. Uh, it was what it was found back at his hotel room after a meeting. <laughs> right. And uh, so it's just it's just amazing. Um, uh, you, you see the hell they put the Trump kids through um, and still do, obviously, uh, when they're harassing Ivanka for eight hours for uh, an insurrection to take over the government, which was complete BS, in my my opinion. And um, uh, and yet uh, Hunter Biden, uh, you know, is completely uh, unscathed with all the drama and, and filth that uh, surrounds him. And by the way, it just shows the old saying is true that, you know, you know who loves a diamond is crack horse. <laughs> and, and so if you're going to give Hunter Biden a gift, something to impress a crack horse is always good. But I, I like to point that out only because it's so nuts that we have a president whose family, all the, the crack whore jokes are completely appropriate. <clears throat> How insane is that? I, I'm not making that up, that that's true. It's absolutely nuts. And I think the other part too is um, here they, you know, worked for years and years uh, to try to link Trump to Russia with, you know, no success. We know now that it was a Hillary Clinton plot and yet um, the Biden family, it's right in front of our eyes. It's on their laptop, how they were received Literally. from the mayor's wife from uh, Moscow and, and Ukrainians monthly. So uh, it's just unbelievable. And, and I think the question is, how much of the 
the policies that happened while Joe Biden was vice president were affected by apparently the corruption of the Biden family. How much did Hunter Biden, he was put in that place. The reason Ukrainian companies and Chinese companies hired him as a consultant is because he they hoped he would have influence on his father. Well, I wonder where he did have influence. How much of, of U.S. policy was directly a result of a payoff by some Ukrainian or Chinese official that ended up in the Biden family bank account. And I, I don't think we know that yet because no one took this story seriously in the mainstream press and in fact, buried it. You know, Jim, since you're right in the middle of that, and we'll come to, around to the Twitter thing, do you consider the press and social media burying the story of the Biden laptop election interference? I absolutely do. And I know for a fact because we were reporting on it and we were getting um, an amazing amount of traffic at the time. This is a week or two before the election. And uh, not only was Twitter and Facebook, were they blocking our stories, but they were they were um, suspending and censoring anybody who put up our story. They would also be taken down for 24 hours with a threat that they would lose their account if they uh, reported on this story that we were reporting that was completely factual. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they definitely um, uh, had their uh, not just, you know, their, their thumb on the scale. They had uh, their whole left leg on the scale. Um, they, this was an amazing uh, uh, story. It was factual. And they, they not only hit it, but then they made up lies about it being um, Russian uh, propaganda. I mean, it's it's just it's just uh, unbelievable uh, how dishonest our media is today. And I just I, I, it's really I have a hard time people taking the media, the mainstream media, seriously anymore. Well, I think one of the other things too that's so interesting about it as well is here you had Twitter, you know, like you said with the New York Post, especially you know with Miranda Devine, who was actually really big on the laptop story. They were the judge and jury, and many also many YouTubers. You know, I'm in the 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 young millennial generation, where you had these YouTubers talking about it, and all of a sudden, big tech big tech just gets in there. They become the judge and jury. You don't have a say. They take these channels down, and it's like, wait a minute. I, I thought that this was supposed to be a platform where everyone can just share their opinions, and but all of a sudden now, you're you're judge and jury on what we can and cannot see. And the other thing is, is that I always say now, especially with this Hunter Biden story, give it six months. If they're calling it Russian propaganda, I used to say, give it six months and it eventually will come out as truth. Now it's like two weeks later after you hear it's Russian propaganda. Now it's two days later. The amount of, of time between when it's called Russian propaganda versus the time it versus coming out as true fact, that time is starting to dwindle which I'm thankful for because it shows people aren't getting their news from the mainstream anymore. They're looking outside like a gateway pundit, like uh, fault lines, like the backstory, like, you know, RT, Sputnik, everything. And that to me at least is promising. And hopefully we can have it where finally the media wakes up and it's like, gee, maybe people don't like us or don't believe us along with big tech. 
But one of the, one of the things I'm hoping, Jim, is that have you seen any politicians, uh, Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, someone like that, Marjorie Taylor Greene, come out on the floor of Congress and say there needs to be investigation now? Because I would not be shocked. I don't think that big tech companies came with this idea on their own. And what we learned in the second impeachment is there are people who are part of the State Department, people at the CIA, who are actively against Trump. Jim, would you be shocked if it turned out they were coordinating and they were basically told by people inside the government, maybe State Department, maybe CIA, maybe some other government agency, said to Facebook, said to Twitter, said to YouTube, hey, kill this story. Um, you know what? I don't think they would have to twist their arms. You know, I, it, it, it appears today that these people are all on the same team. They're all rooting for the same people, and they all have the same goals. And uh, so it's not just, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the media, which flipped to the Democrats, you know, years ago. But now we have big tech that is doing everything it can to silence people. It's really such a, it's a tragedy in America. We, each, we actually have a new Twitter CEO who was talking about how, uh, and he's from India, and he comes over here and uh, says that, you know, freedom of the speech is, you know, it's something that was nice at one time, but we're really moving to something new now where, where they're going to start doing, uh, not start doing, they're, to, they're going to continue censoring voices that, they, that are unapproved. So, uh, yeah, very, very sad that this is happening online. I hope it gets corrected at some point or at least, uh, you know, I hope that there's at least some sort of a platform for, for those of us who want the truth um, for we can collect and still get our, our information out because it's, it's, it's becoming very um, frightening just how much control they have over society today. So Orwell said, if you control the past, you control the present. You control the present, you control the future. And that's in 1984. And by this Twitter, people need to realize this. Jim, when you're suspended on Twitter, they removed all of your tweets, right? Sure, sure. Tweets, photos, videos, a lot of personal you know, photos I had put up, a lot of events I went to. Uh, yeah, they don't give you a warning either, which um, is just uh, you know, despicable. But um, they, they, they deleted us, Lee, um, uh, and that was when we were putting up video from inside the TCF Center in Detroit from election night when they were um, driving in uh, van loads of ballots. And uh, so that's when we got, finally, when they uh, just deleted our whole account. So, uh, yeah, they weren't going to let the people see that. That was uh, not allowed. Um, just just well, and, and for that with so many people. And the reason I brought that Orwell quote is that is controlling the past. Literally, it's controlling history. They erased the record. They erased the receipts. In other words, if I as a person said, I, you know, I don't know if it's Jim Hoff, I don't know Gateway Pundit, I want to look up whether they were lying and see maybe he did deserve to be banned. I can't look that up. I can't compare what you said on the record. Let's look at that video that was 
and and ask questions about it. I can't do it. So when Twitter does this, it's really despicable because it's erasing, it's controlling the past. It's not just controlling what you want to say, but it's controlling the record of what you said. Now, no, I thought of that when, when my YouTube video, that's why I, as I've said a lot of people on Twitter are talking about they want Donald Trump reinstated. And I think it's important for one reason to get the historical record. Here's what Trump said. But Roger Stone's the guy who I want because Roger Stone, they lied about what he said. They said, he said this on Twitter. And I know, because I was able to look it up, he didn't say what he said, what they said he said. And I can't prove that to you. If you said, well, what did he say? You have to take my word for it or a screenshot. You can't look at the actual record itself. Now, did you, Jim, have a glimmer of hope when you heard Elon Musk became the biggest shareholder and he was making his way onto the board? Did you have a Twitter hope, a, a, a glimmer of hope that Elon Musk might make a difference? Well, I certainly was hoping so. You know, I think um, it's it's a big, big job for any person, and you need a big personality if they're going to change the uh, environment there. But um, uh, possibly if anybody could do it, uh, certainly Elon Musk would be one of the people you'd, you'd put your money on. Um, so that, yeah, I would say that initially, that was my uh, my initial thought. But then you know, I we, we saw how Trump going into the White House, how he was, uh, you know, under assault from before he even went in the office uh, until he left. Um, it's it's very hard to change an organization that's so corrupt. And I think uh, with Twitter, that's what we we saw within uh, 24, 48 hours, how they reacted to the news when the with the statement they put out yesterday saying that, yeah, you know, well, he's he's a he owns a. A lot of this stock now, but that's not going to change our company. So, you know, he's got a big job ahead of him um, if, it, if it's possible to change the culture there. And, and it's also interesting, too, because I think you could have it where, you know, a lot of these people, I think, which I actually thought was funny, too. You had um, one of the girls yesterday. I believe she might have been from Rumble. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was it was one of the uh, CEOs of Substack. She said, hey, all of you that are getting ready to leave Twitter because you're really, really angry about Elon Musk coming on with free speech, don't apply to Substack because we don't want you. <laughs> you know, and I thought it was kind of funny that she tweeted that out on, on its own platform. Yeah. But but you also had it, though, where, you know, and this is what I, I proposed uh, yesterday, was you have a lot of these people that might be wanting to dip out of Twitter because they don't want to even be involved. And then you could have a guy like Elon Musk that's like, Hey Johnny, you're wanting looking to leave and sell sell your share. How about I give you a ten billion and you just get out? And they're like, okay, see you later. And then therefore he gets more of it. I mean, it's like, I, and I said this yesterday: if you can't beat them, buy them. That might be the new thing. And it's going to be sad that we have to look at American oligarchs because that's what they are. They're Russian oligarchs, but they're American entrepreneurs. Um, we might have to be looking to some of them in order to get free speech. Who knows? Yeah, and I still hold some hope. Because Elon Musk, Jim, do you agree? Elon Musk has a kind of personality. We've seen it over and over again. He's not afraid 
to take on a challenge. And I don't think he spent all that money to get on the board of Twitter. I don't think he invested the money he did in order to get an edit button on Twitter. I think he was was knew that this is a big challenge. And I think he we'll see. I'm it's only I, I don't want to get my hopes up only to have them dash again. But but I do think Elon's got the kind of personality. What do you think of that, Jim Hoff? I I, I think uh you're right in saying we get our hopes up and then they get dashed again, <laughs> then we get slammed. Um, I think, uh, you know, Elon is the one though. I mean, if you put your money on anybody to get something like that done, it would be, uh, uh, you know, someone like Elon Musk. So, uh, you know, we will see, but boy, he has his hands full. And, um, but I, I would love it if that, if that was the case, uh, if it's not the case, I hope some of these other social media platforms really take off. And I think eventually one of them will. And I've, you know, I've, we obviously have accounts on several other social media platforms. And um, so I'm getting used to going to other places and uh, they, they, they basically have killed off their own business when it finally does go under, if it does. Um, I, I think it's unfortunate if Twitter was smart, they'd be they'd be they'd recognize that Elon Musk is there to save the company, but I don't think these uh, these people are that smart. And when you say people are not that smart, I do want to pivot back really quick to Hunter Biden since you guys were on it as well, and I want you to listen, Peter Ducey, really doing God's work for the media at this point because the media it's just like a, a, a how wonderful are you today, John Saki. Peter Ducey really speaking truth to power here. Take a listen to how he grills Jen Psaki and her response. I think you'll like this. Go ahead and roll clip. On another topic, was it common for President Biden to do favors for Hunter Biden's international business partners, like writing college recommendations for their kids? I have I've seen the report. I have no confirmation or comment on a report about whether or not the president, when he was a private citizen, wrote a college recommendation letter for an individual. I, a college recommendation letter, though, from uh, at the time, a former vice president would be a big deal. So do we know what the president might have gotten in return for doing a favor like that? Again, I have no a confirmation of any recommendation letter the president wrote when he was a private citizen, by the way, not uh, serving in public office. That's even the report. But he's the president now and you're his spokesperson. Correct. And he was not the president at the time of this report. So there's evidence that the president at one point was office mates with Hunter and his brother Jim here in D.C. It's not accurate. That is not accurate. So when Hunter Biden is emailing a landlord, uh, please have keys made available for new office mates, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Jim Biden. That you're disputing. They were not office mates, no. They were not office mates. Okay. Great. Uh, Jim, the the, the president's PR firm for you. What do you have to say? Yeah, I I just think it's stunning. I think you nailed it um, right before you played the clip, actually, and that is that um, there's one reporter in the room that actually asked a tough question. The rest are just around to, um, you know, waiting for cookies on Friday and then to cheer Jen Psaki as she leaves the stage. It's really despicable the way you see that how how they treat this corrupt um, regime that's in office and then how they compare that to how they treated the Trump people for years um, and and hurling these nasty remarks and these slanderous lies about Russia at him 
all the time. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, but, but good for Peter Ducci for, for bringing this up. And, uh, uh, at least there's one person in the room who has the guts to ask a hard question. And it's nice to know that Jen Psaki's, she's announced her resignation. And of course she's going into the media. Is that shocking to anyone? Not at all. Not at all. And, and you know what's also very interesting is that she says that's that's not true. That's not true. Um, so then Hunter Biden's laptop is lying. Then that's what's happening, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> right, and and of course he could bring up all the photos of Joe Biden with um, Hunter Biden and Hunter's and Joe's uh, you know contacts from Ukraine actually playing golf and, and things like that. So, and, and, and in the uh, vice president's office, there's a, a photo of, uh, I believe, uh, Hunter in the, in, in his office with his, some of the people he's met doing deals with. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of information there that's yet to be discussed. Um, so I, I you know, Peter, Peter Ducey could have gone off on that angle if he wanted to, there's, there's just a whole lot there. I just don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how the media hides all this. Now, Jim, we only have about a minute left. Thanks for coming on. Great to talk to you again. Uh, yes. I want because you have the pulse of a very large audience of people who are pro-Trump on the right. I'm curious. I'm always curious what you think the perception of the right is on this Ukraine-Russia war. Are you seeing Republicans become, as they learn more about Zelensky, as connections with Klaus Schwab, as connections with George Soros, are you seeing Republicans who started impartially, they were they were open to Zelensky, when they've learned more about him, they now recognize this is not a guy they can support? Um, I don't know if it's actually Zelensky, although, you know, those are valid points. But I think just the fact that um, we're getting so much in misinformation coming from Ukraine, it's really difficult for us as a news outlet to keep up with it all. Um, and uh, so uh, and, and again, I think it's just pure insanity to think that America needs to start another war, especially with Russia. And, you know, top nuclear power does not make sense to me. Um, why the U.S. would want to do that. And um, uh, but, you know, that's the day and age we live in. Uh, the media, though, on the other hand, uh, mainstream media is just going gung ho. It looks like they really, really want their war. So uh, uh, I hope not, though. Our readers don't seem to uh, uh, be interested in any new war, especially not with Russia. And that, that's not a surprise. Jim Hoff, let's keep our fingers crossed with Elon Musk. I hope they can bring you back on Twitter for one. Jim Hoff from Gateway Pundit. Check him out. Let's get, take a short break now. We got Fern Franzak joining us as co guest host. When we come back from the break, we'll be taking your calls, 202 521 1320. And then we'll be talking to Lucy Commissar next hour on The Backstory. We're back live from the Empire of Lies. 
and just outside the matrix it's the time for the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines i'm investigative journalist lee stranahan my guest co-host is Sharon bronzak and this is the backstory so there you have it what do you think of jim hoft Baron? oh he's great great thanks for the introduction I've, I've, I've watched, or I've, I've followed the Gateway Pundit for a long time. Yeah, Jim's generally one of the nicest guys, too, I know in this industry. I've known him for over 10 years. He was friends with Andrew Breitbart, as I mentioned, as he mentioned. And uh, we were introduced by Andrew Breitbart like 12 years ago. And he's just a great guy, and I'm happy to see success. But coming up this hour, Another fantastic guest, Lucy Commissar, one of the best investigative journalists in the world, going against the tide and doing deep journalism on a complex subject, money laundering, international shell companies, and Bill Browder, this hour on The Backstory. Now, Farron, I want to go to calls first. We get, let's go two two five two one thirteen twenty. Tarif, what is on your mind? Thanks for taking my call, Lee. First, I'd like to say free you free joining science. I have all uh, three comments. Well, it's two. Of course, you know about the ban on coal. All Russia have to do because the coal just been banned is just sell it to India and China because they really do need coal. The greenies is basically, you know, is it, it, hurting uh, Germany. That they put a ban, a full ban, dollar a year ban on coal, which is not good for the industries, and that's going to drop the price of coal on the end because when they get it from the U.S. or anybody else, they going to have to ship it there, and it's going the coal going to increase in price, so they're going to suffer even more. So, um, okay, Russia had put a cap on the inflation because they make their own fertilizer, their own agriculture, their own trucks, things of that nature, their own energy. And um, that helped the country out, whereas other countries in Europe is suffering hyperinflation. Also, Russia put a, um, what you call it, a tariff, a ban on exports of Russian agriculture outside of Russia because they did it to stop, to stop hyperinflation dealing with the food market, right, in, in Russia. So this, they did that to stop that. Russia also, could in the uh, future, what Elizabeth McCurse can say, stop exporting energy, energy in agriculture. That would actually hurt Europe seriously. Even though Europe, some countries still, ex- you know, importing Russian goods such as natural natural gas, but Russia cut it all together, they can still make money by shipping it to Pakistan. Which now Afghanistan they're working on deals with um, Afghanistan. Um, um, well, they're talking to Afghanistan now, Pakistan, India, China, and they've been on another pipeline from what I understand to Japan. Most people don't even know that. I just found out today. So Russia's going to be all right down, you know, in the future as they switch things over to rubles, getting countries to pay for rubles for the um, services and the um, the, uh, the uh, you know the resources, things of that nature. So yeah, also Russia, China, Iran, and Turkey expressed their solidarity, solidarity with Pakistan PM, PM Iran Khan against a foreign conspiracy engineered by you know who. So yeah, Pepe Escobar wrote that. Thanks. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
thank you for taking my call for today, Lou. Thank you, Therese. Yeah, Therese, great points. And the suicidal nature of what Germany's done, you you watch. And Alice McCourse has been talking about this a lot on the Duran recently. But it is it is baffling. And what's what's interesting is we saw during COVID-19, Germans are willing to protest when they get upset. And we saw, Spiferen, did you see that 5,000 car protest pro-Russian in Germany? I saw one in Germany. I saw one in Greece. I saw one in Italy, a big one in Italy. I might have even been bigger in, in Italy than it was in Germany. But you're not going to hear about it, Lee. So I don't know why you're asking me. Because <laughs> I'm trying to see if I if I dreamed it. <laughs> you did not. It was it's a fact. It's like a Joe Biden ghostly sighting. I need you to confirm it. <laughs> did Germany put its hand on your shoulder when you dreamed it? And you still ignored it? No, that's, <laughs> and it felt like something cold on my shoulder. That's, it didn't feel like a physical <laughs> presence. It was just the ether. But uh, uh. we're seeing countries, I've said, Farron, and, 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 and Command Central, who do you have on? One second, David in Florida, having been very patient, we'll get to you in one second. But Farron, I have been saying, and I continue to believe that the U.S., we're talking about how we're isolating Russia. We're not isolating Russia. We're sending them to a different playground. I think R Russia is not isolated. They're not sitting in the corner alone. They've got the biggest country in the world, China, in their side, right? They've got India. I, I think that what the U.S. has created is a second, it's they've created a multipolar world where it's clearly the battle lines, not, not literally, but the battle lines are drawn. And so we're seeing a non-isolated Russia that is allies with Pakistan, India, China. Are you seeing the same thing? Do you think it's isolated Russia? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's kind of the whole MO here is they and, and you know, you have two sides in the State Department. You have the Jake Sullivan side that's very anti-China, but there's no way in hell we're going to be able to beat China, especially since we owe them so much money. And basically that basically every Walmart would shut down if we tried to go to war with China. You have the other side, your Antony Blinkens, you have your um, your Victoria Newlands who are very anti-Russia. And I think instead of joining with Russia against China, you know, or maybe just even living in harmony with everybody. Yeah, it's very much it's easier now to isolate Russia because we owe so much to China. And the fact, too, that Russia has been trying to get into NATO themselves. You, you heard Vladimir Putin talking to former President Bill Clinton just before his way out, asking if they could get involved and, and if they could be a part of NATO. And Putin didn't go into the conversation, but he said basically he was told a stern no. So it's not like this. there's there's ever been like, hey, let's try to work with Russia. There has been no way in hell they were ever going to work with Russia. So it, it's a very sad state of affairs, especially when you have all of this 
let's cancel Russia, let's cancel everything with from the Russian ballet to Tchaikovsky, who lived 200 years ago, like he has something to do with this. Give me a break. No, it's ridiculous. And it's it's just the idea that I'll, I'll put it like this. If you're it's if you're going through a divorce or something like that and you push your wife out and into the arms of a millionaire, that's not bad for her. And with Russia, we've isolated them, stuck with two of the biggest economies in the world and emerging high-tech economies, China on the hardware side and India on the software side. So these are huge countries with a so in terms of being in markets, they're big markets, but they're also talented. They don't just have resources in the ground. They have human resources. It's not a bad isolation, you know? Yeah. And before we get to the calls, too, because I think we could probably get some of the callers reaction as well, Lee. I want to play. Biden was actually today at a, a meeting with a bunch of union members. and. Telling, um, you know, telling them, you know, how, you know, he's all pro union and his whole, you know, Joe Biden, you know, the taking the train, Joe. And here is what he said to the workers. And then it's followed up with Jen Psaki's response to it, Lee. I want to I want you to listen and then get your reaction. Then I'm sure the callers have some reaction to it as well. Let's roll clip. This war can continue for a long time, but the United States will continue to stand with Ukraine, the Ukrainian people in the fight for freedom. And I just want you to know that. And by the way, if I got to go to war, I'm going with you guys. I I mean it. So you have that clip. And now here's Jen Psaki's response to that. If I have to go to war, that should scare everybody. Let's roll the second clip. Jen. Um, the president today, as he was talking about his vow to stand by Ukrainians, added a line, and by the way, if I've got to go to war, I'm going with you guys. Can you clarify what that meant? There's no intention of sending boot troops to the ground or fighting a war uh, between uh, with the U- U.S. forces against Russia. That was a reflection of his long love for uh, labor unions and members of labor unions and the building and trades workers who were there and people that he would always love to be in the foxhole with, not an indication of a change in U.S. policy. Lee, do you honestly believe that? Do you, is, is he that? Is he that gone off the reservation with dementia and this is elder abuse? Or is there something that we've all been saying that, hey, they want a war, but oops, he said the quiet part out loud again? Well, the upside to Jen Psaki's response was that she didn't say, Joe who? Because he, she acknowledged his existence. But yeah, I, I think it's it's... We had any number of examples of this where Biden has said things that basically, well, I'm about to start World War III, then they walk it back a little bit and they say, no, he didn't actually mean we'll put boots on the ground when he said we'll put boots on the ground. And they're having to walk this back. And so, so we'll see. I, I, I think... What Joe Biden says is increasingly irrelevant to what's going on either 
in terms of policy or in terms of people at the White House caring about it. And it's obvious uh, last night. It definitely is. But you know what? I, I don't blame Jen Psaki for wanting to go to MSNBC because I'm sure she's at the point where she's like, I am sure as hell not paid enough money to, to walk back the statements from this invalid at, this, at the moment. <laughs> well, she's she's gotten to the point. We heard this in her early response. She's gotten to the point of saying she can't deny it. So what she said on the Hunter Biden question she got was, I have no knowledge of that, which means she didn't look into it. She didn't ask the president, this is true or false. So she can say, well, I have no knowledge of it. And that's a bad sign when press secretaries don't ask their boss to clarify something so they can tell the truth to the press. So she's in a very bad position. Uh And we wish wish her well, although I wish the audience well, too, because she's going to be awful on MSNBC. She's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Now, she, she'll she keep circling back to things. Yeah, exactly. David, in Florida, you've been very patient. Let's go to you, 202-521-1320. What's on your mind? Hey, the great Lee Stranahan and the pierogi princess. What an <laughs> This is a, a, a great show. Um, they should syndicate this and get this all over the place. Um, I wanted to talk about this psyop that I think went on in this town in Ukraine called Busha. You guys familiar with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've been talking about it for days. I mean, the Russian, the Russian troops basically pulled out of there, right? And uh, then all of a sudden, all these dead bodies are seen all over the place. And I'm wondering... You know, this is really high level in the sense that um, you show these pictures and it's on all of the, you know, like the Good Morning America kind of shows in the morning. And it's designed, I think, you know, for a certain demographic who, you know, for better or worse, are a little bit ill-informed about what's going on. And then, you know, these are the same people that, you know, change their profile picture and they got their little Ukrainian flag and they tell their friends, you know, send send money to Ukraine. Like, where is that money going that you're going to send to Ukraine? Like, who is getting that money? I, I'd like to know that. And for all the Trump people out there um, who buy into this stuff and just everybody in general, uh, you know, what happened to America first? I mean, this ain't America first. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of sad. We went from, you know, a war on a pathogen to war on Russians, like within... 24 hours. I just want you guys to maybe comment on that. Well, and I, I've been griping about this for weeks now. And, and you know, you even have Uber where you can donate part of your tip to Ukraine. It's like, how about you give it to the American driver who's getting stiffed constantly and is working for Uber because he and it's probably his second or third job because the United States doesn't pay him enough or, you know, the company he does he works for doesn't pay him enough. And he's, he has to work this job so that he can pay for his crazy amount of health care bills. You know, everybody they show across the board, more often than not, most Americans only have about 500 bucks in their savings account. And God forbid, if something happens like, you know, like, Lee, you know yourself, if you have a stroke, if you have a heart attack, if something were to happen catastrophic in your life, Americans would not be able to afford it. 
But now you also have, you forgot one thing. We're sending all this money over to Ukraine. Yesterday, we just approved $20 million over to Moldova to now help them out. Why is it that we can help every country in Europe, yet when it comes to our own, all of the money we've sent over to Ukraine, Moldova, Poland, Estonia, Latvia, all of that, we could have end homelessness. Kids could actually afford college by, and, and or one, they could probably, we could probably pay for them to go to college like what China did, um, but we could get rid of their student debt. We could end uh, one in six kids go to, goes to bed hungry every night. We could end that. We could probably, you know, work on, on going after corrupt billionaires who have rigged the tax system. We could hire more of the IRS to do that. There's so much we could do with the, with the problems here with all of that money. Yet Congress has no problem just passing it. And not to mention, if Congress has that much money to play with, then that's a very, very scary thing. A very scary thing. That's our money. Now, I think it's a good point and that it's, it would be true even if the stuff that's said about Russia being the bad guys and Zelensky being a good guy, even if they were true, that Russia's a bad guy, that's still a valid argument that we shouldn't be involved. But it's made worse by the fact that, in fact, we're supporting the bad guys. And this is, like you say, in Syria, I saw this over and over again, whereas they, they blamed Bashar al-Assad for gas chemical attacks in Syria, where, in fact, we were supporting al-Qaeda. We're supporting the murderous people in ISIS. And so I, so I go beyond a just say, well, we shouldn't spend the money. We should be backing Russia. These atrocities in Bukha, we don't know who did them. Reuters has said they were not able to independently verify this. The Pentagon said they were not able to independently verify it. At that point, the press should stop. They should not report things that they cannot independently verify. But not only that, we know there's no doubt that there were videos posted of Ukrainian troops shooting Russian troops in the knees, torturing them on video. That video is confirmed, but I never hear anyone talk about it. I'll do you another one, Lee. You had, you had the one girl, the Ukrainian girl. Remember, she was the one that was the poster child for the girl taken out of the hospital because the Russian troops came in and, and were beating them and, and shelling them. And then she sits down for an interview and says, no, 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 no. Those were the Ukrainian soldiers and they kicked us out, took our food, took everything. You know, ho hopefully that girl isn't found and shot because I fear for her life. But you're never going to hear the follow up to that. The press just puts it out there, never follows up with anything. Journalism is dead. That's one of the things I think about this book story is that is not tricky. It is very easy to figure out. First off, Ukraine has a history of lying. Ukraine has a history of using false footage, like that maternity story, the maternity hospital story. I've seen the interview with the girl. Second, so first off, they have a history of lying. Second off, the United States has a history of lying. The United States in Iraq in Syria, constantly promotes these stories. So just on the basis of that, 
someone should look at this with skepticism. But also, there's obvious footage of Ukrainians. And Mark Sloboda was on the show yesterday. He pointed out that they were talking about Ukraine was actively talking about going after collaborators. And you can see it in the footage. Some of these victims have white armbands. And those white armbands mean that they were pro-Russian. And literally, I've seen people from Ukraine say, well, the white armbands means they deserve to be shot. What's tricky about this story? I, I don't see it as, as there's no reason to believe it. There's anti-reason to believe it. And like the Bashar al-Assad story, it doesn't make sense. Why would Russia do this? This goes against everything that they're saying and everything that they've been acting on. Why would they do this? Why would Russia shoot Russian, pro-Russian? It, it literally makes no sense. Just like why would Bashar al-Assad gas his own people? But th there we go. So let's go to call 202 Great points, Farron. 202-521-1320. Medea in, in Australia, I believe. What's on your mind? Um, yeah, I was listening to Paul Johnson yesterday, uh, how he was uh, sending a message, message to uh, um, the Russian people. He was he was sending um, uh, the, 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 Russian, the Russian people how he, they should stand up against their, their, their president and all that. And how, and how, how do, how, you're in Australia. What is the sentiment like over there? Australia is obviously allied with the West, uh, but you're right near China. China, you can't live without China, and China also can't live without you. Um, what is the sentiment in, in Australia when you're talking to your friends and just talking to people about what's going on in Ukraine? Well, Australians are pro-Ukrainians, and uh, I'm a pro-Russian myself, but I, I have to lay low. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure, have you lost any friends or family that you're not talking to right now because of it? Uh, my family doesn't care. <laughs> well, then lucky for you, because I know here in the United States, it's a lot more hostile, right, Lee? Yes, yeah, I think I've I've seen it somewhat, but I, I also think that there is more pro-Russian sentiment out there. Just people don't want to talk about it openly. When I talk to people privately, in other words, they don't have to like put a flag up on their icon or anything like that. I I'm seeing a lot of pro-Russian. I'm I'm openly pro-Russian, and I hear from people all the time. And I think if you listen to the media, you'd think no one is pro-Russian, but I think there are more people than are willing to talk about it openly. What do you think, Farron? You know, it's interesting. Um, I live in D.C. and in a particular part of where I live, you have everybody that has the Ukrainian flags in their windows. You have them out on their balconies. And I was walking my dog the other day because I was, you know, looking at these flags and I was like, I wonder what would happen if I put up a Russian flag. What on earth would happen? And not only that, I thought, I wonder, can you even buy them on Amazon? And, you know, it's one of these things that are very hard to find, but uh, you still can. But I just remember thinking, like, I wonder what would happen. And 
honestly, it could be one great social experiment to see what would happen. But yeah, it's it's you're inundated with it left and right of of Russia bad, Ukraine good, Russia communist, and and, and Putin is the next Hitler, and Zelensky is the next you know. Um, I don't even know who you could, you know, the, besides a Hollywood movie star, but you know, the next, uh, Obama, you know, he's, he's the next great Holy one. And it's pretty disgusting sometimes when you have it just jammed down your throat. And yeah, that's, that's at least what I'm seeing here in DC. And I've been able to do that experiment on a social media basis. When I came out early, very early, and and part of why I didn't make a snap judgment on this, I'm pro Russia because I've been following the situation for years, and I was already, I already knew that Ukrainian Nazis were real, and I, when Putin started talking about it, I was like, well, it's about time you talk about it. So I knew that, and when I came out publicly and I said, I stand with Russia, on Twitter. I was surprised. I I know we get some hostility. What I was surprised by was how much support I had and how many people went, yeah, me too. And they don't want you to know there's any pro-Russian sentiment, but there's a lot of people who know this history. This history of, you know, there's some people who've been watching Donbass situation the media's been ignoring it, but there's some people who've been looking at it, to it and cared about it for years. And when they see somebody say something against the media narrative, they want to come out and support them. So I don't know. I would, you might get your window broken in DC, <laughs> but, but coming out and being pro-Russian on social media has been great. And the good thing is you share lots of, I find lots of things from my followers. Oh yeah. And the people who are, and, and so that's been great. And you, and Lee, I was telling you about Amazon. I'm looking right now as we speak, you can buy a Russian flag, but when you put up the Ukrainian, when you search for a Ukrainian flag, they also are selling the Ukrainian insurgent army flag. And it looks like those flags are flying off the shelves. Yes. The, the Nazi market, very big on Amazon. So when we come back, Lucy Commissar, one of the best investigative journalists in the world, talking about shell companies, money laundering, and Bill Browder. After this, on The Backstory. Backstory 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Now, Farron, we're joined by Farron Franzak, our guest co host for the day. Farron, have you talked to Lucy before, Lucy Commissar? I have not. Another exciting person I'm, I'm, I'm anxiously waiting to meet. Yeah, she's brilliant. Lucy Commissar, first off, has been a journalist for decades. She goes back, she covered the civil rights movement. 
among other things, in her work. But she's focused for the past couple decades, I think. How long have you been focused on the money laundering shell companies aspect of your work, Lucy? In in the late um, 90s, I thought. The first story I wrote was an op-ed in the L.A. Times. There was an effort to get the Jewish accounts that had been uh, hidden by the Swiss. And I wrote a story saying, hey, wait a minute, it's not just the Swiss and Jewish accounts. It's a whole international system in offshore uh, locations hiding the money of crooks and kleptocrats and drug traffickers and political bad guys. And that was the beginning. So that was 97. So we're going up to almost 25 years. Wow. Wow. And you've done amazing work and, and it's hard work. And I say that because you have to look at, you have to read contracts and stuff like that. Don't, don't you stuff that normal people avoid at all costs. Uh, Am I right? Is that what you're doing as a journalist? I have to have the right contacts, and they send me documentation. And it could be contracts, it could be uh, legal documents, but you have to have the right contacts, which means you have to have people who are not stenographers for the mainstream media. And that's tricky to find. Isn't it? Yeah, well, people now contact me. There are a lot of people out there. You know, if, if I had people working for me, we could put out a lot of stories because once they send you stuff, you then have to investigate and prove it all. You can, even if somebody sounds good, you know, my favorite um, phrase, and this is a, a true uh, story that came from Chicago reporters many years ago, is if your mother says she loves you, check it out. Painting, even if it's a good guy or girl sending you something you can't believe it so you have to get the evidence and and that's what takes the time yeah you know and, and i appreciate the time you put it in now i have said that russia said that this story starts in 2014 talking about the war that really if look back to the coup the Madan coup i think it goes back further i think this to some extent starts with the Bill Browder story. The Magnitsky Act was passed in 2012. But when did you know, you know the answer to this. When do you, when do you consider the Browder story starting? When did they decide to make that an issue? It started in 2012. I think it's the first pillar of Russiagate, at least the open Russiagate. But you have to go back to even uh, the uh, the effort to expand NATO, and that goes back to the late 1990s. There's a video of Biden in 97 saying he didn't think NATO should be expanded to the Baltics. So the operation launched by the deep state really happened after the USSR was replaced by Russia and the states that had been part of it, and the Baltics, the Southern Caucasus. Stands, and it was to extend NATO to Russia's border. A lot of that was happening uh, beneath the surface from the point of view of most people in the public. Uh, that, that was an argument going on in the foreign policy establishment. People like George Kennan said, don't do this. People like Kissinger said, don't do this. But uh, the, what I'm looking at, Russiagate really was the effort to uh, demonize Russia, because the, the NATO expansion had all kinds of arguments, but it wasn't to say the Russians are about to attack the West unless we move NATO. But 
in order to get the public to support an increased uh, anti-Russian move, you needed to demonize the Russians to say, wait a minute, these are bad guys and they're our enemies. And that wasn't really being said, certainly not at the time of the 90s. That was Yeltsin, and the Americans were very much involved with getting Yeltsin to uh, turn the, the government, uh, state the state-owned properties, into private properties. The Americans created the oligarchs because what they did was – uh, in, in fake auctions, move the state properties into the hands of, of the oligarchs. And that was in the 90s. That was part of the operation to take down the Russian state. But it wasn't yet an operation to demonize the Russian state. I think that the first pillar of Russiagate, which was the demonization, that happened in 2012. And that happened with uh, uh, Browder and you, you know, you, now in retrospect, we can look back at some of the things that show how this was part of it. There's a very interesting 2019 RAND report. RAND is a quasi-U.S. governmental think tank that receives three-quarters of its funding from the U.S. military. So it's really a government operation. And interesting article in antiwar.com by Rick Sterling, uh, recent, recently uh, published there. Uh, he, he said, according to the RAND report, it was called Overextending and Unbalancing Russia. The U.S. goal was on efforts and actions to undermine its designated adversary, Russia. And the report lists many measures that it would take to provoke and threaten Russia. Some of them were repositioning bombers within easy striking range of key Russian strategic targets, deploying additional tactical nuclear weapons to locations in Europe and Asia, increasing U.S. and allied naval force posture and presence in Russia's operating areas, the Black Sea, holding NATO war exercises on Russian borders, uh, withdrawing from the uh, INF, the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty. And all of that was done. Now, the, and the report said increasing U.S. military aid would certainly drive up the Russian costs, but doing so could also increase the loss of Ukrainian lives and territory or result in a disadvantageous peace settlement. So as long as they drove up the cost to Russia, Rand did not appear to care about Ukrainian lives, and that strategy was affected. Remember, Undersecretary for Political Affairs Victoria Nuland said, over 20 years, the U.S. invested $5 billion in the project to turn Ukraine. And the culmination, as you indicated, was a coup in February 2014 carried out against an elected president with the support of the U.S. government. And since 2015, uh, she acknowledged the U.S. has been training uh, the militias, which we know are ultranational and neo-Nazi militias. So the question is, where does Bill Browder come in? So uh, it's clear we know the U.S. deep state project was to bring about the collapse of Russia as a major state that could threaten U.S. Uh, hegemonic intentions. And uh, since the communist state was gone, which had always been the target of, of demonization, they had to demonize Russia. And initially, remember, Putin wanted to be part of the West. He wanted to join NATO. He, he wasn't doing anything to challenge the West. But the point is, the U.S. did not want Russia uh, to get on its feet because it was a major power, a, a nuclear power. It wanted to to reduce its power. And Browder was a useful, per, uh, a perfect useful idiot for that operation. So for people that don't know, let me give you a little bit of that background. We know he's a tax fraudster. 
that the Russian tax investigators went after from the early 2000s. He was running um, a stock operation, buying and selling shares in Russia. Uh, he used fake labor contracts to say he hired disabled people in Kalmykia, a Buddhist re region, which gave a benefit of a 50% tax cut if you hired if half of your, the people working for you were disabled. They had set it up to help the wounded from the war in Afghanistan. His employees were basically uh, manual workers, but they allowed their work documents to be used in return for small payments. It was obviously totally corrupt. So there was an investigation that went on from the early 2000s. And uh, this included, by the way, uh, evidence that Browder paid off one of the tax investigators. So the investigation took a long time. It had to be taken over by the feds because the, the locals seemed to be compromised. And he was judged by a court in 2013 to be a tax evader. He got a nine-year sentence. By then, he was out of the country since 2005. He was denied a renewal of his visa after years of refusing to pay $40 million in taxes. In addition to that, he had done some corrupt stock deals. So in that scam, he bought Gazprom shares. At that time, non-Russian nationals were not allowed to buy them in Russia, where the prices were cheaper. Uh, they had to buy them as ADRs. That's called American Depository Receipts in London. So he used cutouts pretending to be Russian buyers. It was an easy, crooked ploy for somebody so uh, well-versed in how to be uh, crooked. So he moved millions of dollars of profit offshore via Cypress shell companies, and that's where I do have a lot of documents, with the help of his bank, HSBC, which we know is famous for laundering the money of Latin American drug traffickers. And, and, and also, let, let me point out that, am I correct, when he was buying these Gazprom shares, it was for the, the Zip, a company called the Zip Investments, the Zip Brothers. These, right. And that company... The Ziff Brothers Investment Company, it's three, three brothers, the heirs to a publishing empire, Ziff Davis. But that company, one of the consultants was a person named Derek Shearer. And Derek Shearer, his brother-in-law, is Strobe Talbot, who Victoria Newland worked for. Am, am I correct about that? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's lots of, of connections. People, this is to show that people really did know what was going on. Yes, that is true. And and Ziff Davis gave a lot of money to the the Democrats uh, in in the at the time of of the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. Uh, they were involved uh, more recently in a crooked operation where they they did some bribery. Uh, uh, in, uh, in one of the third world countries to get a, a mining contract. So it's, 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 a fair, it's a sort of an iffy, this iffy company is an, is an iffy company. And yes, that, so that was the, the gas problem, but it was handled. They were a major client of Browder, and he, he handled that money. And he admitted moving all his money out of Russia. He did that after uh, 2005 when he lost the visa. But he still feared that, I assume, he still feared Russia would go after him for the $100 million, uh, in the back taxes and the illicit stock buys. And he knew the deep state media could help build a defense because it, it worked perfectly along with the desire to demonize Russia. 
Uh, now, the deep state, we know, has a history of using the mainstream media for its operations. People should look up Carl Bernstein's report of how the CIA paid off reporters. It's called How America's Most Powerful News Media Worked Hand-in-Glove with the Central Intelligence Agency and Why the Church Committee Covered It Up. Just in, do a search, Bernstein CIA Media, and you'll get all the details about the high-level uh, U.S. journalist and and media that were paid off by the CIA. Now, the Western media would lie about Russia to build up public hostility to Russia and lay the groundwork for the U.S. to use Ukraine as a proxy in the NATO expansion operation to attack Russia's independence, even existence. Now, the key fake story that Browdy used, which the U.S. became complicit in, was the death of Sergei Magnitsky, the accountant that arranged the fake tax filings. He'd actually gone up to Kalmykia to find uh, manual workers that would be willing to fill out papers saying they had worked for uh, Browder's operation. And they were listed as stock analysts. I mean, these were people like gardeners, for example. Maybe a good gardener, but not a stock analyst. So Magnitsky was arrested for that because... Uh, the, the, the investigators had, had the documents to show that this person, supposedly a stock analyst, was really a gardener. He told a fellow prisoner that his employers, meaning, meaning Browder and company, had hung him out to dry, would not pay the money to, to get him out, the bills, and he died in prison in 2009 of a stomach ailment. It wasn't until 2012, several years later, that Browder was working with the ex-State Department official Jonathan Weiner to invent the Magnitsky hoax, saying that Magnitsky had been beaten to death by government thugs. This in spite of the fact that the Physicians for Human Rights in Cambridge, Massachusetts, based on documents Browder sent them, said Magnitsky died of a stomach ailment. So, so much for the truth. Now, the State Department, the U.S. government, promoted legislation in 2012, named the Magnitsky Act, which repeated all... Browder's fakeries, and the goal was to demonize Russia. So when in 2017, I requested as a journalist evidence for the claims in the law, because they actually say in the law that Magnitsky was, was killed by these thugs, I was told, quote, the human, I have the email of the guy, the human rights reports are prepared by human rights officers at U.S. missions around the world. They represent thousands of work hours as each country in each country. Uh, once the reports are drafted, they are edited, reviewed, and fact-checked to ensure accuracy and objectivity. The reports do not reach conclusions of a legal character. Translation, we know the Magnitsky story is a lie, and we certainly won't take legal responsibility for it, nor will we give you the evidence that we don't have. And after five years, also no response to my FOIA requests of 2017, asking for documents relating to the Browder-Magnitsky scam, including about the role of State Department Russia expert Robert Otto, who said in emails that were hacked uh, and never denied in 2016 that Browder was lying. So Browder uh, played the press brilliantly. If you look at my website, The Commissar Scoop, in one article, I analyzed more than 20 mainstream media articles about Browder's fake claims, and each one linked to documents that prove the story is false. I sent my analyses to each of the reporters. None of them responded, including from The New York Times, Washington Post, Vanity Fair, and more. Uh, the article is called 20 Fake U.S. Media Articles on the Browder-Magnitsky Hoax, 
and one honest reporter from Cyprus. That Cyprus guy, Elias Hazu of the Cyprus Mail, actually looked at the documents I sent and wrote a retraction. And that's also on the Commissar Scoop. So uh, it's not surprising that the media continues to lie on the Ukraine story now. I know they were lying from years ago. And uh, Browder obviously now has a huge PR operation. He's been working this through the years. And one of his failed but now forgotten invented stories was shopped to Robert Mueller, saying that a meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and Russian lawyer Natalia Veselnitskaya, uh, representing the Prevazon company, was a smoking gun to prove collusion between Russia and the Trump campaign to steal the 2016 election. Now, Browder had targeted the Russian company Prevazon in a fake story, his story, about $230 million stolen from the Russian Treasury, which was a cover-up for his own theft of that money. And the evidence is in documents, again the documents, showing his transfers of ownership of a shell company he owned to a person involved in the theft. So the money went into the shell company, and suddenly it ended up in this other company, and the man convicted of the theft testified he worked with a Sergei Leonidovich, which would be Sergei Leonidovich Magnitsky. And I assume the ill-gotten gains of that $230 million heist are sitting in a Browder offshore account. Um, and the Browder's fake Trump Tower story was one that Mueller dutifully wrote down, though, of course, it led to no charges against Trump and, and company. So, you know, the, they... A lot of things are forgotten. If you want to look at the whole Russiagate story of which the Mueller report was part and the lies that were told on mainstream media, on CNN, on MSNBC, they have never been walked back once they have proved to be untrue because they figure everybody's going to forget it and we've got a new lie to promote. And then in the theory that the best defense is a good offense. Browder has spent a decade attacking Russia to deflect attention from his own corruption, especially to get Interpol, now clearly obeying Washington's orders from carrying out its alleged function of arresting international crooks. So we see what has happened. Uh, this, what his role in it, but also Washington, have basically decimated what is supposedly the international rule of law system. We don't have a rule of law anymore, not when uh, the U.S. government does something like uh, cut, cut off the operation of Interpol from doing what it's supposed to do. Now, I think this, this has been going on, but the demonization of Russia now because of Ukraine is really manna from heaven for Browder because he spews his lies, uh, and more recently in The Independent and The Times in the UK, on MSNBC, in The Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Yahoo Finance, uh, including inventions of Putin's wealth, although he said previously in print that he didn't know where the wealth came from. He was just guessing. Uh, actually, he was making it up. But these reporters... Don't ask for evidence because Browder's stories, and they are either naive or complicit, they are part of the deep state attack on Russia. And so, and, and, and so what you're talking about there, a lot of people have heard Vladimir Putin's the richest person in the world. And that gets repeated all the time. And, and as far as I know, that story started with Bill Browder, correct? Yes, but he has actually said in print that he doesn't have the evidence. 
uh, people have posted that to uh, Twitter, where in one case he says that, uh, I think it was in his last, in his book, Red Notice, that he, he said, well, he doesn't really have the evidence, but uh, but he really, you know, he's sure that he did this. Um, and people don't right. work proof. And anyone who is even suspicious of this now, they're afraid of writing anything that shows a critic of Putin is lying. And there's another document that's interesting. People have wondered about uh, Browder's connection to the deep state. He is listed in the documents of the Integrity Initiative, which is an operation funded by the British Foreign Office, as, and, and he's listed there as one of their assets working to demonize Russia. The Integrity Initiative uh, documents were hacked, they were posted, and uh, the, U- the UK government admitted that it's their operation. And a reporter writing on this said, the Integrity Initiative is described by the British government as a counter-Russia disinformation campaign, which the reporter says, and typically Orwellian language means it's a U.S.-British disinformation campaign. Now, something Browder, beyond being a useful disinfo operative, has an official role in the U.S.-U.K. deep state. I don't know if that's the case. It doesn't matter because uh, they work in tandem. And the relevance of all of this is to show that for at least 10 years, he and the deep state have been working together to demonize Russia. This is long before Ukraine became an issue. So for the U.S.-U.K. governments, that turned out to be a part of their planned attack on the Russian, Russian state. So Browder himself is unimportant. He's a cipher. He's a useful idiot. But his story and the U.S. Magnitsky Act shows the reach of the U.S. and the U.K. plan to take down Russia. And that's why uh, it is important and his story is important. And Lucy, do me a favor. Just I'm going to throw a reference. But I want people to be able to get to your website. Can you spell the name of your website, the Commissar Scoop, so people can find it? P-H-E-K-O-M-I-S-A-R-S-C-O-O-P dot com. There's a whole section uh, called the Browder Hoax. And if you move down maybe three or four stories, you will see the one uh, about the the 20 uh, fake articles and and a lot of other uh, useful information. Uh, But uh, the important – so – Please, people should read the thing by uh, the uh, Cypriot uh, journalist uh, Elias because uh, he is so much more honest than uh, the Americans, uh, so much uh, more honest because he looked at the documents. He looked at the documents. The Americans that wrote these stories, they do not uh, care about the truth about Elias Hazu did care, and he actually wrote about it. Um, you know, it, this whole this story going on for years has exposed so much of the rot in the United States, uh, uh, in the government, in the media, in the Congress, which also voted. You know, some people did not vote for the Magnitsky Act. I think Bernie Sanders did not vote for it. Uh, but now, but they do not denounce it. And it is being used as part of of the attack uh, against Russia. So I really have so little respect for uh, the people uh, in the U.S. government, in in the Congress, in the media, uh, because they they are part of this uh, deep state operation. And it's it's very sad to to see, as I said, the rot that that is uh, that you can see in in the U.S. government. 
I was going to say, I have a, I have a personal question for Lucy, um, you know, in just reading your, your biography and what you, uh, you know, uncovered, what you've encountered, especially during the civil rights era, you know, a lot of, of, you know, back in the civil rights era, especially in the South, you could not talk about, you know, it was, it was very poo-pooed to talk about, Hey, rights for black people, you know, and, we're kind of seeing the same today as far as, you know, the rights of Russians and the Russian people as they're getting canceled. You know, it's it's definitely not the same as it was for, you know, blacks in the South, especially during the civil rights period. But you as a journalist, um, you know, personal question, what has it been like as far as digging these digging up these stories, uncovering the truth at a time when you know when you go against the grain you are not going to be liked. They're going to take you and rake you through the coals and they're going to take you and try to destroy your reputation, try to call you crazy or what have you. Um, what is it like for you as a journalist and how do you persevere? Well, the first thing is it's really important that we have social media, that we have the Internet, that the stories that that I could not have published back in the day uh, can now be seen, even if it's not in the mainstream media. And and uh, I was editor of the Mississippi Free Press, which was a weekly in Jackson, and I was there in 1962 to 1963 when um, mm-hmm. uh, we're not telling the truth. In the North, I remember Time magazine was writing that Martin Luther King was a communist, and uh, the the media was not sympathetic to the the movement that that was going on, and so that has not changed. the The media basically works for the the people in charge, and they they do not sympathize with the people that are trying to change uh, the, the system in any way, even in in the way of civil rights, which was certainly not going to overturn the system. It was just supposed to maybe spread out a little little more of the largesse uh, from the system. But I'm not surprised. Uh, and uh, I accepted that very early on, that I either was going to tell the truth that I saw, or I was going to be a fake, and I might as well go into another <laughs> into another line of business, because I wasn't mm-hmm. fake. That, that, that is the problem. Because we have seen in, in the media that there have been people, even in places like CNN, uh, in, in, during the Iraq War, people were fired because they didn't have the right line on the Iraq War. It's not said now, of course, uh, that because now people will acknowledge, well, we didn't really know. And it, well, well, of course they knew what was going on. But you have to uh, decide uh, pretty early on in your life uh, what you're going to do with it. And uh, for me, uh, there was no point in being a journalist if I was just going to uh, uh, rewrite press releases from the people in power. That, that's, and, and so far, I am satisfied that I made the right choice. Well, Lucy, I, 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 I can't tell you how much I admire you. You're a hero and absolutely one of the best investigative journalists in the world. And you have to read a lot of boring stuff because going through these financial papers, you're having to parse contracts and other things. So great work. Thanks for coming on, Lucy, explaining why Bill Browder factors in. Baron, thanks so much for guest hosting today. Thank you, Lee. Great talking to you. And hopefully you see why I admire Lucy so much. Oh, absolutely. Now she's a hero of mine, too. She's a pretty smart cookie. And thanks so much to all our guests today and all our callers. We'll see you tomorrow on Backstory. Backstory.